like when he has sex with her, like some sort of creature is going to erupt from her vagina kind of thing. The night of. Hello and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. This is the podcast where we celebrate HBO's prestige programming with subpar commentary. Each episode, we'll look into a show from HBO's past and tell you if it's worth your watch. So, what are we doing today? Today, Nicole, we are taking our first drama, and we are looking at the miniseries, The Night Of. Ending the name on a preposition? Yes. It doesn't speak to the quality of the show, Nicole. It actually has excellent writers. Don't judge them on their poor grammar in the title. They start right there with all of the edge. Because <laughs> it's a dot, 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 right? It's implied. The night of what? Nicole, did you watch The Night Of? It was in 2016. It was a miniseries. Mm-hmm. I was a live watcher each week, unlike you. Unlike me. So I didn't watch the show when it was out. What drew you to the show initially? Or do you follow murdering cop shows or? No. So as we've gone over in the past, a lot of my TV show watching is directed by others. So another boyfriend, (laughs) well, the same one, really. But another situation where the boyfriend was like, hey, you want to check out the show? And I'm like, sure. If you somehow made it through all four episodes here, Nicole has zero agency over what television she watches. And here's the thing. I feel bad because with our producer, we pick new shows to watch. So even today, Nicole does not get to pick what show she watches. (laughs) At best, she has a one third vote. (laughs) Well, the craziness about that is different sides of the spectrum you and I are on because I would never turn on the TV and you never turn it off. I didn't even have a TV when I met my boyfriend, now husband. I tell you, there is some envy in me that I I only think my wife thinks I'm amusing because she didn't have cable as a kid. (laughs) I think if she had had cable, she would not find me at all entertaining today. Like my best bits are stolen from FX and TBS and MTV. And she's slowly learning that as life goes on. (laughs) Yes. Our eventual divorce when she's finally sick of me will be that she has enough streaming services and she doesn't need me anymore. (laughs) But the thing that really gets me or sells me on watching a show is when you say something like, it's just a miniseries. That's a small footprint of commitment. So I was into it. HBO miniseries came out in 2016 with a total of eight episodes. They're longish, mm-hmm. longish episodes. The show was based on BBC series Criminal Justice, which they're both very similar, but they have little differences to account for the culture. And also the ending is different. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. And Nicole, they kind of they follow like the suspect through the entire show, right? Is that the kind of thing that separates this from a standard mystery or standard cop drama? Yeah, I mean, we follow it from the suspect, but we also get glimpses into the other characters that he interacts with other people in the prison, people in the prison system, his lawyer, his lawyer, and then his attorneys, and then his lawyer again. The first episode, and obviously we're going to get into the pilot, we'll give it some more detail here, but pilot episode is a lot about the singular crime that we will talk about that sort of launches this. Is the focus of the remaining seven episodes, is it about like 
the cops and like how they're handling the case or is it like about police brutality or is it about there's some elements of racism like are these the main thrusts of where the show goes you know it it doesn't hit so much on police brutality and i don't think that this series was trying to capture that and there are like some like racism vibes but that's also not a focus of the show okay so it's more like a true crime thing than well, I mean, it's not a true crime, but it, it has that sort of vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, like Serial, okay. the Serial series uh, or the podcast Serial. Were you a listener of Serial? Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm not a Serial listener. I, I don't typically watch a lot of crime stuff because it makes me anxious. I don't listen to Serial. The closest I got is is something like Shit Town. Oh, Shit Town is a Serial production. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm not too far off. So what's it about? This show, Nicole, was created by Richard Price and Steven Zalian. Richard Price is a self-described lower middle-class Jewish kid who grew up in a housing project in the Bronx. This show takes place in New York. He's written for a bunch of HBO shows uh, like The Wire, The Outsider, The Deuce. Surprise, surprise. And HBO loves to reuse its creators. They love to give their creators more work, more freedom. Steve Zalian is a award-winning writer. He wrote Schindler's List. He wrote Awakenings. He wrote Gangs of New York. He wrote Moneyball, The Irishman. Steve Zalian's considered one of the best writers of all time. So the two of them took this show, Criminal Justice, which was a BBC show by Peter Moffat, and they turned it into an HBO show. This is the second time that that's happened that we've talked about because the show in the thick of it mm -hmm. became V. And now Criminal Justice becomes The Night Of. Yep. In Britain, it was kind of big, Nicole. It, it won uh, Best Serial and Best Writing at the British TV Awards. And Peter Moffat, the creator of the original British version, he's still doing quite well for himself. He's actually doing Your Honor for Showtime, which stars Brian Cranston, and it has similar elements. Brian Cranston plays a judge who may or may not do something inappropriate uh, with his powers. So still focusing on the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Now, James Gandolfini uh, from Sopranos fame was originally developing this show and he was going to star in it. He was going to be the, the role that John Turturro has, but he he passed away. I don't know. Like maybe they rewrote it for John Turturro. Maybe. You know, or they let him like put his spin on it. But I can't see James Gandolfini in that role. I just can't. It's okay. You can say that. The show, it ran, again, one season because it was a miniseries. Creators, Zalian and Price, have both said that they might do a second season if an idea strikes them or if they have something they fall in love with. Yeah. But limited miniseries did very well. It climbed in ratings as it went on, which says good word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And it had a 95% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And Nicole, what was the what was the consensus on, on what the reviews were saying? The Night Of is a richly crafted, exquisitely performed mystery that will keep viewers enthralled and leave them devastated. So you watched the whole thing. I was enthralled through the first episode, certainly. Did it leave you devastated, though? Oh, absolutely. I'm. This is for six years later. Yeah. I'm like the thought of the show is upsetting to me. Oh, wow. OK, so let's start talking about. So Riz Ahmed, who is our lead character in Asir, he won an Emmy for this. So walk me through who Riz Ahmed is. So he's been in a bunch of award-winning independent movies, and then he had his breakout in Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal and this show, The Night Of. Then he got to show up in a Jason Bourne movie. He was in Venom with Tom Hardy. Oh, God. Did you survive watching Venom? I know you're a big Tom Hardy fan. It was fine. It wasn't good, but it was fine. Yeah, I. it wasn't good. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, everybody. That's the episode. <laughs> 
don't see Venom. Yeah, that's there's our take on Venom. He was nominated for his guest spot in the HBO show Girls. Oh, okay. He was also the first Muslim nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in Sound of Metal in 2019. In my opinion, the right selection for the role of Nasir's lawyer, John Turturro. Can you tell me about John Turturro, David? Nicole, I have lots of thoughts about John Turturro. John Turturro has been in over 60 movies. If you don't know who John Turturro is, you'd know who John Turturro is. He's been in The Big Lebowski. He's been in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He was in Transformers. Uh, He's going to be in the new Batman movie. He's going to be a bad guy in Batman? He is going to be a bad guy in Batman. Oh, that's exciting. He's been in nine Spike Lee movies, including Do the Right Thing. He got Emmy nominated for this role in The Night Of. After James Gandolfini passed away, Robert De Niro was actually going to do the role. Um, but scheduling conflicts came up. Oh, God, please. The fucking stars aligned is what I'm hearing. N- not a fan of Robert De Niro. I am a huge fan of Robert De Niro. I don't want to see some hard-ass New Yorker helping this kid. There was a sensitivity and a softness that came to this character. Like, oh, oh. There was vulnerability. There was a lot of truth. And I don't know. I just, John Turturro is this is this character for me. My problem with John Turturro is I think that John Turturro is one of the best actors working today. And I think he ends up in some of the worst fucking films. Oh. You just said a minute ago he was in Transformers and he was good in it. I loved it. He gets peed on by a robot in Transformers. A robot pees on him. Got some oil on him. No. An Academy Award winning actor shouldn't. No, I'm not saying Transformers was a great movie. I enjoyed the way he portrayed the character of the whatever agency he worked for. I didn't. Well, what are the great roles that he's been in then? So Big Lebowski and Oh Brother Art Thou are good. They're not my movies, but he's good in them. For me, the best film John Turturro has ever been in and the role he ever did was as Joey Kanish in the Rounders movie. Hmm. Rounders. Nicole, are you familiar with Rounders? Yeah, Matt Damon. Matt Damon, Ed Norton. Rounders is a great movie. Rounders is a is a card game movie. It's about a bunch of guys who play poker and end up owing people money. And Ed Norton's great in it. Oh, but there's so much more to it than that. Yes, I'm underselling. <laughs> I'm underselling Rounders. John Turturro plays Matt Damon's mentor type character, uh, Joey Kanish. And Joey Kanish is based on a, a real poker player. There are elements of how you describe him that connect me to his role in Rounders, which is that of a mentor okay. who's trying his best to guide someone who's making mistakes. John Turturro plays that sort of mentor caring figure very well. Nicole, then there's the detective in the show, Bill Camp. Yeah, Detective Box. He's the investigator on the case. And you know, he's not one of those ones that just tries to get you to implicate yourself, just trick you into saying the thing that gets their job done easier. But before this, he was in The Outsider. The Outsider, man, that show was creepy. That's a Stephen King show. Oh, it's terrifying. Anyway, (laughs) The Leftovers, I haven't seen that. And Boardwalk Empire. All on HBO. He did get an Emmy nomination for his role in The Night Of. If you had told me that the actor, uh, Bill Camp, if you had told me that he didn't do Broadway and he didn't do the other, these other shows, and instead he was a real New York detective, I would have believed you. So that's, that's Bill Camp. And then in the pilot, I didn't see him, but Michael K. Williams plays Freddie Knight, who's like a guy at Rikers. Do we end up at Rikers? N- not too many spoilers, but we end up at Rikers. Mm-hmm. Rikers Island. 
So Michael K. Williams recently passed Nicole. Condolences out to Michael K. Williams' family. He was a great actor. He was known for playing Omar in HBO's The Wire and Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire. He was a background dancer for Madonna. That's how he got his start. Yeah. We've got the the group established here. Mm-hmm. So we, we know who our major players are. So let's dig into the pilot. Let's walk through what happens in our first episode. Nasir, a Pakistani-American college student in Queens, gets invited by some significantly cooler and better-dressed kids to party with a lot of females. This is the exact type of party that he does not get invited to. He's academically focused. He's nerdy. His parents are both surprised and super annoyed he's going to this party. When his ride to the cool party leaves him high and dry, Nasir steals his dad's taxi. This is clearly new territory for him. He doesn't even remember to turn off the service light. This is amateur hour. (laughs) When an attractive woman gets in his cab for a ride, he weirdly agrees to take her. I mean, I don't know that it's so weird. Yeah, it's not that weird. No, she's a good looking broad. She's pretty and ominous, but despite Nasir not being a cab driver, so he's not your profession. So that's the weird thing here is he says yes, and she doesn't really know where she wants to go. Aren't there cameras in cabs? Yeah, like HBO used to have, was that Taxi Cab Confessions? Was HBO? I feel like it was. Okay. So we can talk about that, but not the quiz show, which I'm dying to be on. Cash Cab. Cash Cab? Cash Cab. Yes. Yeah, I think I be good at that show but i think you would be i would say that it depends on the criteria so like if i went on jeopardy and it was like potpourri x-men comic books the work of christopher nolan (laughs) hbo series i would do very well in those but if they asked like state capitals well i would get that i wouldn't would you do good in the in the potpourri category well because here's the thing i i feel like i know a lot about sage and vanilla If it's actually about potpourri, (laughs) Nas is in his car and he's his stolen car that he stole from his dad, his cab, and a hot chick shows up. I will say that she looks like a mysterious woman and she does not want to go anywhere near his party is. So he's driving out of his way and he agrees to do this walking through the veil, in my opinion. Yeah. This is the turning point. Yeah. They drive around and end up having an intimate Riverside chat where Nasir talks about feeling trapped by the expectations of his parents and society. Standard college kid issues that are especially relevant for a first-generation American. You know, his dad is splitting the cost of a cab just to make ends meet. You get the vibe similarly in the show that Nasir has this like, little bit of a legacy that he has to live up to because his parents are doing so much for him. Yep. And the woman doesn't. She has no empathy about this. She's using Nasir as a vehicle for pleasure and distraction. And an actual vehicle, because he's driving her somewhere. And, well, it's not his vehicle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's cool and ominous, and she offers him some pills, which we don't know what they are. He says no. Yep. And she does the whole, I don't want to be alone tonight. Um, so... He chooses the blue pill, man. He takes it and yeah. then starts driving. Hey, man, I never do this stuff. Now I'm going to drive and operate every machinery. Mm-hmm. So they get back to her place. They're drinking tequila, discussing the people who are racist toward him. They're doing cocaine. I mean, he is like no holes barred at this point. Before we, we tackle this, her place, though, let's talk about that for a minute. She lives in a rich neighborhood. Nasir even says like, oh, this is a really nice place. And she's like, whatever. And he's like, but it's really nice. 
So she's in a rich neighborhood in a, like a brownstone walk up. Mm-hmm. What I always assume with with very rich people in New York City. But inside, like her place is weird. She's got like <laughs> a deer's head in the living room and like weird lights and candles. And it look, it's like hippie and kind of gothic, it looks like. Mm-hmm. If you had walked in on like a first date with someone to their apartment, wouldn't this have scared you? I know I would have been scared off a little bit. Yes, because I would have been sober. But ah, if yes. I'm high... That probably increased the simulation in a good way. He's like going to be talking to the deer head later if he gets drunk enough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he may have. Yeah. (laughs) So they start playing five finger filet. He lightly snaps her and they end up having sex. While she's bleeding. (laughs) She's bleeding from the stab wound. She's bleeding. Yes. And they start getting it on. Mm -hmm. So it, it appears that this is Nasir's first time. He's reluctant. Yeah. But he's got this powder courage (laughs) so he's vibing along for his wild night his fun story he's gonna tell his grandkids one day about how he met their grandmother well i think that's the interesting spot because we kind of like we do like a fade out here after the sex scene thank god of course right you do like the nice fade but i think at this point although nasir has made some mistakes along the way and and i've been nervous for him a few times right doing the drugs and and stealing his dad's car and i I think nicole we agree that nothing he's done is like, oh my God, I can't. Like, he's, he's being a little bit of a crazy college student. Yeah, he's definitely pushing boundaries, but these are all ba- boundaries that young kids in college push yes. in some degree. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like when it faded out, I was like, well, at least he got laid before whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So I kind of had this like- He's not going to die a virgin. Yeah, a virgin. Yeah. So there was this kind of like relief moment I had when it faded to black. I was still nervous for him. Because he's in an unfamiliar place, in an unfamiliar situation where he's he's done some drugs and he's with a stranger. But I didn't predict what happened next. Well, he wakes up in the kitchen. Yeah, kind of half clothed in the kitchen. He's not sure what's going on. He's very confused. Although there must be a portion of the evening that he remembers because he knows he needs to like be like, all right, see ya. Mm-hmm. So he goes upstairs and he sees a very murdered woman. <laughs> Super murdered. Like, not just, like, maybe they got a little crazy with the strangling. You know, some people like asphyxiation. Right, yeah. This didn't look like it was sex gone wrong. No, this wasn't, like, a mistake. This was very intentional. <laughs> intentional death. <laughs> yeah. They do a really cool thing there from a directing perspective is they kind of focus on him when he goes up into the room and he's like he's getting dressed and he's kind of talking to her he's like i really better go and so he's like putting he was like half dressed so he's like putting on his pants and his jacket and he walks over to the lamp and we stay with him like the camera stays with nasir and he flicks on the lamp and you see the lamp covered in blood and yet first you don't see what he sees looking at the bed you just see the lamp and it's soaked in blood and he quick like freaks out and turns off the lamp again And then, like, he turns the lamp back on and and we reveal the super murdered girl. But it's a really great, like, reveal. And, Nicole, he looks shocked. Like, he did not expect to find murdered girl. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, I gotta clean this up from last night. He he panics. As you do. He just, oops, murdered another girl. (laughs) Shit, this happened again. (laughs) So he panics, he flees. He realizes that he forgets the keys to the taxi Uh, in the house. He has to, he doesn't go back in. He didn't leave it cracked. He didn't leave it unlocked. He has to break into the building. Uh, So then he double panics and is like, okay, now there's breaking and entering and there's drugs everywhere and my semen in her. And so he takes 
the drugs. He takes the murder weapon. Leaves the semen, though, as far as we know. He takes a weapon that they used in fun for their game earlier. Something that would implicate him. And then makes an illegal left-hand turn and gets arrested. (laughs) Nicole, what follows is, I think, as someone who has anxiety, like, the best written scenes of anxiety because Mm. to your point he gets caught doing a left-hand turn so he's the cops have him and then those same cops get called to the scene of the break-in that he just left so the rest of this episode sort of starts to unfold the investigation into what happened to the young girl and nasir is sitting in the cop car watching this unfold with us and it's so stressful because you're like yeah they like come upon the scene yeah and you know he's going to get caught. You you know he's going to get caught, but you're waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's for any like filmmaker out there. If you want a free lesson in building tension, mm-hmm. watch this because you see all the things he left behind, and you're seeing cops almost discover it or kind of discover it while he's watching, and they're not making the connection to him yet. It's it's really like it's stressful. But it's it's a masterclass in how to build build that tension. Yeah. So how do they figure out that it's him? So it's it's these three shoes that sort of fall, right? These three shoes that drop that sort of put the nail in in this year's coffin. So he ends up in the police station and he's waiting to be booked from his left hand turn, right? On his left hand turn, but the cops have because they're investigating a murder forgot to do a breathalyzer for him so now they're basically like we're gonna have to give him a ticket for left hand turn and it's your lucky night so they're just like filling out the paperwork for him and so they're checking off the boxes okay we we, we did a breathalyzer we did this we did that so one of the police officers is starting to pat him down so that they could say goodbye to him while this is happening the other witnesses now are being brought into the police station and they ask one of the neighbors who who had seen nasir leave but didn't id nasir now he didn't you know recognize him they they ask him about how the person left and he and he said oh they left in a cab so the detective now who's who's been assigned to this case is coming up and putting together his paperwork and he starts to take notes on the murder weapon so this is all happening at once and we're kind of following this here and he's kind of trying to eavesdrop on these conversations because they're about him but nobody knows they're about him and then the neighbor says they, they're like, oh, well, he hailed a cab. And the neighbor says, no, he didn't hail a cab. I said he got in his cab. And then suddenly it dawns on the police officer who's patting down Nasir <laughs> that he was driving a cab. And so she starts to click. And just as she's doing his pat down, she finds something in his pocket. And she reaches in to find out what it is. And as she does, the detective investigating the case describes the murder weapon, which is a thin, small knife. And as he describes the knife, she pulls it out of Nazir's pocket. And then a third witness walks in and goes, that's the guy. <laughs> and it's amazing filmmaking because all of them drop it once. And now Nasir's up for murder. So this is where now Nasir gets put through the ringer with Detective Box. Right, Nicole? Yep. And once they arrest him, this show avoids many classic TV police tropes. The detective who interrogates him is actually calm. Yeah. Yeah. And reasonable. He even tries to kind of help Nas through the mm-hmm. humiliating and dehumanizing process of being stripped, searched, and having a DNA and penile swab taken during <sighs> processing. He doesn't try to get him to talk his way into admitting he did it. He doesn't try to trick him. I got news for you, Nicole. If you threatened me with a penile swab, I would admit to many crimes I didn't commit. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're not a girl. 
Well, you, you've had penile swaps? Not exactly. My inverted penis. Uh, the vagina. <laughs> the vagina is swabbed yearly uh, by a bristled Q-tip. Ooh, I'm Nicole. I am sorry to hear that. I I apologize. Is bristle the wrong word? Bristled. Are they pulling stuff, pulling parts out of you? Yeah, they're they're taking they're taking a a sample of your cells. Nicole, what we'd like to do on this podcast is the next time you have to go get bristled, we'll in a separate room do a penal swab so that it's like a sympathy <laughs> pain thing for you. Um, like how when you got pregnant, I gained a lot of weight. That's <laughs> Nicole, is this a pap schmear? Is that what? <laughs> it's not a fucking bagel schmear. Pap, pap schmear. I think that's just my accent. <laughs> yes, please use this to apply your cream cheese. This is what they use to hold open your, your canal. Yeah, the metal duck. The metal duck. It looks they like really a metal duck. They really should talk about it like that. They should call it a metal duck. It would it would really improve the whole mood. It would lighten things up, lighten the mood. Nicole, if they put googly eyes on all of these instruments, would that make the pap smear more enjoyable for you? I don't think so. No. So in the waiting scenes of the hour plus pilot, yes. we finally meet John Turturro's lawyer character. We don't learn his name, who in passing happens to see Nasser in a prison cell and seems confused. When Tinturo walks over to him, what he had heard from someone else at the police station was that it was a stabbing or a cut. He says like, oh, he, he cut someone. He doesn't know it's a murder until after he agrees to represent Nasir. Yeah. He thinks it's probably, and he asked him about his race uh, and he asked him if anyone mentioned his race. So I think he sees like, oh, here's a Pakistani American getting railroaded yeah. for a bar fight or something. Yep. And it's only after that he finds out that it's for murder. So I'm curious if John Turturro is way in over his head here, thinking he's just helping out a buddy who was in a bar fight type thing. So remind me, does he talk about his feet in this episode? He does, Nicole. He has he has uh, some feet problems. <laughs> he's like a psoriasis or something yeah, with his feet. So I know that there are like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dermatologist. But I think for me, that indicates anxiety in him that gets worse <laughs> after yes. and it gets better too but it gets worse oh throughout the series you're saying correct so yeah so yes my my takeaway is that he gets a little in over his head this becomes a very high profile case mm -hmm. and an attorney or like a firm approaches his family about representing Nasser, and there's some issues with that so then um john Turturro's character ends up having to come back in Oh, okay. One of my key questions is, after I watched the pilot, I want to know, did Nasir commit this murder? But also, did John Turturro's feet get better? Mm -hmm. So I think those are key plot points I want to know the ending of. <sighs> it's kind of like a running joke throughout it. Um, his feet it's get better, but his face gets worse. Oh. It actually moves its way up to his face. Oh. And there's a reason for that, too. Let me ask you this. As Detective Box gets in, and now we have John Turturro, the lawyer, who's, who's trying to figure shit out, too. Who is the best TV detective, in your opinion? Not just in HBO, not just the night of. We're talking all nights. Who's the best TV detective? Who would you go with? Best at detecting or my favorite? Because if it's my favorite, it's probably Hank from Breaking Bad. He was good eventually at detecting. <laughs> Could eventually, okay. And the other one I found uh, quite fun, the DEA agent, which is is kind of a detective in Weeds that okay. that uh, the main character Nancy ends up marrying. 
to uh, keep them quiet. So hold on, Nicole. <laughs> Your two favorite detectives are one whose brother-in-law was a kingpin of crime and he didn't realize it, and another one who married the person he was investigating. <laughs> They're my favorites. Yeah. What about, do you have any detectives that you like, if, if we were trying to solve like your murder, what's a detective that, that you oh. would look to like, cause they have to be well, good. I would, I would have to be more selective with that. I'd probably go with detective Miller from the expanse. Ooh. Okay. Only because I feel like he gets, he got really invested in finding and solving the case he was given. And he eventually fell in love with her. I don't even to fall in love with me, but I want him to fucking find me. And I think he would, I think he would. You think he would find you and fall in love with you, or you think he would just find you? Oh, sorry. I think he would solve my murder, but I don't know. Who do you want solving your murder? I'd want Nancy Drew investigating it. Oh. Because that would mean, like, I didn't get hit by a bus or got shot for owing a guy money. It would mean that there was a mystery clock somehow involved. <laughs> And a secret tunnel and pirate gold and the ghost of a dead ballerina. Like, oh, Jesus, the shit I got involved in would be awesome. So as we look at these two, we sort of have Nasir stuck in the middle as the victim, right? Who doesn't have any power. Yes. On a one end, we have Detective Box, who's like, he's going to nail him to the wall, right? He's going to find all of these clues to send Nasir to prison. On the other side, we have John Turturro saying, I'm going to find holes in this. Is that what the rest of this series is about, of these two forces sort of going up against each other? I mean, Nasir does not have any memory of what's happened. Typically in situations like this, and true for this one, the prosecutor or the DA's office, this feels open and shut for them. Mm -hmm. I think they even actually say that. Yeah, yeah. So for a lawyer to be looking for a strategic way to get him off, this is like, but there's a lot of other unfolding that happens. You know, he doesn't have a motive. I mean, like we mentioned, she was very murdered. This wasn't like a, <laughs> hey, lady, give me your jewels, you know, get out of the way kind of situation. She was brutally murdered. So there's no motive. There's no, there's nothing here to connect him besides the fact that he was there and his DNA is everywhere. That's it. And that's pretty compelling, but it's still circumstantial. I thought one of the coolest things was how Detective Box describes the DNA situation. So I don't watch a lot of like CSI shows or anything like that. But usually it's like, well, we found your DNA at the scene. And it's just like, okay. But the way Detective <laughs> Box kind of explains to him, like this sort of trail of evidence, like he says, this is what we're going to find. We're going to find the cab on you, you on the cab, the girl in the cab, you on the girl. The knife on the girl, the knife on you. Like he explained how like that DNA trail matches and like mm -hmm. you're listening to that. And you're like, yeah, he's fucked. Yeah. As we look through this again, careful with our spoilers here and, and our audience. I think one of the key questions I would have is you mentioned the series is about this push and pull. It's about discovering his alibi that he doesn't have and, and kind of pulling the threads on all this without telling us directly the answer. I want to know at the end of the show, whether or not Nasir did this. Yes. Yes, that's answered. Yes-ish, that's Ish. answered. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yes, I believe so. I also believe it doesn't matter <laughs> that it was answered. I, uh, okay, why is that? Because the process that he has to go through to get to the other side has forever changed him. Yeah. He will never be the person we met tutoring the jocks at his college. Yeah. I don't know if you watched Orange is the New Black, but very similarly to the way that 
She was not a violent criminal. Even her crime wasn't violent. She trafficked drugs one time across borders. I get it. That's a bad thing to do. But it is not shanking people. It is not the survival that you have to go through to make it in a in a prison. I think it's fair to say that we really liked this show. Certainly there are things that we really loved about it and things we didn't like. So can you tell me some of the like high high points for you, your pros for this episode? So again, this is the type of show that that gives me anxiety, but that doesn't mean I can't appreciate, especially from a technical perspective, some of the things they pulled off. I, I think two for me, Nicole, is is there's a, a term in, in screenwriting and stage plays called a Chekhov's gun. And what that is, is it comes from an old adage that if you put a gun on the stage, yeah. it has to go off, right? Otherwise, <laughs> they wouldn't have put the gun on the stage. And I felt like throughout the first like 45 minutes of this episode, it's a series of Chekhov's guns of, okay, you know, he took the drugs. Now he has drugs in his system. He there's just, many guns. Yeah, there's <laughs> many guns throughout. So they establish all of these points of evidence of, you know, they're basically loading the guns. So you know it's going to go off at some point. And so when it does, it's it's super effective. And I think it, it builds tension throughout. This is a ticking clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you look at like how they make the tension rise here and, and keep the audience on the hook, it's very similar to something like Touch of Evil by Orson Welles. It's a great film from from back in the day. The thrust of the the first scene in the movie is that a bomb explodes in a cafe, right? And it's on like a border town and it's a terrorist attack essentially, right? But if you just show the explosion, you get a couple of seconds of excitement, right? Oh, there's an explosion, it's an action. But what instead happens is you watch an entire scene of them placing the bomb and then driving around the area and you sort of follow the car. But you build this tension now because the audience knows the bomb is there and they're waiting for the explosion to happen. Right. So you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And so the tension just ratchets up the whole time. Felt like that's what was happening here, because whether or not Nasir did it, we know it looks like Nasir did it. So as the tension builds on all of these dominoes starting to fall, we know he's going to get arrested. We know the eventuality. We know what's going to happen. There is no surprise. Mm -hmm. But by ratcheting it up and making us wait for it. It makes the tension so palpable that when it finally happens, it almost is like a surprise somehow. It's like we got caught. Exactly, because we're part of it. We're with him. We're literally in the back seat with him for most of this. We're all so confused. We're like, wait a second. He passed out. Did we kill her? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to say, listen, we're going to find Nicole on you, you on Nicole, Nicole on the podcast, the podcast on the knife, and Box is taking us away. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The other thing I thought was really interesting is that for most of the episode, there's no soundtrack. So Mm. you have diegetic and non-diegetic sound. And a non-diegetic sound is a sound that takes place that doesn't have a source on the screen. So narration, a music soundtrack. So in Star Wars, when Darth Vader walks onto a scene and it goes that dum, 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 that's non-diegetic sound. Jaws. Yeah, the Jaws soundtrack is a great example. A lot of these, Nicole, that you're naming are actually lit motifs, oh. which are a special brand of of non-diegetic sound that calls out a special person or event. So the audience kind of knows, oh, that something bad's going to happen. Oh. These don't happen in this episode. You're just stuck in the cab listening. Yeah. And you don't hear a soundtrack to let you know everything's okay. I didn't even realize this. Didn't even occur to me. It's subtle, but it's super effective. Oh, certainly effective. Yeah. And it, it doesn't change until John Turturro shows up. Mm. And when he finally sits down with Nasir, 
that's when music starts. The soundtrack, if you will, starts. Maybe that's why I say that's when the fun begins. That's when the fun begins. Music to my ears. The weird thing for that, Nicole, is for most of the audience members, you may feel a sense of comfort when John Turturro sits down with Nasir. Mm Mm-hmm. And the part of that is, is you're no longer listening to empty hallways of cops talking. Now there's music, which is what you expect in a TV show or a movie. So it's weird that the the show for the first 45 minutes or so doesn't give you that benefit of having a soundtrack to help you know how to feel until mm-hmm. John Turturro, our good guy, quote unquote, right here to help. And then the music lets you relax a little. But what about you? What was your favorite? I know you loved Nasir. What, what was your favorite sort of element of this? You know, I really feel for it. I really loved how um, it allowed me to really empathize with Nasir. I'm not sold on him in this first episode that he, you know, they set him up in a way that allowed me to doubt Mm -hmm. that he could have done what he's being charged with. So I'm able really to relate and understand, like we mentioned earlier, a lot of these mistakes are mistakes that typical children or college kids make as they're growing up and learning themselves and their limits. So while I was like, oh, (laughs) you know that he's getting himself into trouble, I really could feel for him and uh, and understand. And so I really enjoy that. I enjoy being an empath. So this is definitely an empathy bomb for anyone who (laughs) enjoys that at home. I'm 100% with you. I felt for him the whole way, even with his dumbass decisions kind of stacking up and giving me anxiety. Once he left with the knife, I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> like, maybe maybe he was so high or so drunk or whatever. Again, I, I probably not, but don't take the knife with you. <laughs> like, So that kind of gave me anxiety, and that was one of the things that I think – I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's certainly something that at some point you stretch it too much where you lose empathy. Did you have any complaints about the the first episode or the series overall? So when I watch shows, I've just become very immersed in them. And I take on the mood of the show. Okay. So for me, this this show made me very like sad and invested. Yeah. And I felt like I was going through this with them. So while that was also a pro, it is also a con for me. <laughs> yeah. Depending on what's going on in my life. I This is n- like not a good outcome. Like this for anyone. This isn't. Yeah. Yeah. This is not something you want to happen to you or anyone you care about. So. I felt that deeply. Yeah. And I think to your point, Nicole, if after the pilot, I would think, okay, best case scenario is they catch the guy who really did it. Mm-hmm. Right. And Nasir, our innocent young man who got caught up in this is, is set free. Go back to college trying to chase girls. He'll never have a problem having sex with women. No, this experience would be fine. No way. He'll be able to look at his dad in the eyes. <laughs> Even in that rosy, impossible scenario, there's still a dead girl. Like, so even in our best case scenario, there's still a yeah. murdered woman. If he, if he, for whatever reason, was delivering flowers and saw that scene, he's forever changed, right? But yes. There are many yes. other things that did happen. So yeah. it's, this is not good for him. We may say innocent until proven guilty, but your innocence is taken until you're proven guilty and beyond. <laughs> what are some of the other shows that, that the night of reminded you of or seemed influenced by i mean i think definitely the serial podcast i think there's another show on hbo that's like this with the flight attendant who wakes up with someone dead and she's she doesn't actually 
well, I, don't, I haven't seen the show, but my understanding is she doesn't get caught at least at, right up front. So she spends a lot of time trying to piece it together. What are some shows that, you know, you draw comparison to? The thing I got the most vibes from here was Primal Fear. And for those who haven't watched it, Primal Fear is on HBO Max. Primal Fear was a, a movie from a little bit ago with Richard Gere as the attorney and Edward Norton in one of his first roles as an innocent altar boy who is implicated in a murder. <laughs> um, so it's very similar in that innocent person who's accused of something heinous and then an older, wiser person who's trying to coach them. Highly recommend it. It's a great, great movie. It is streaming on HBO Max. It had very similar vibes for me here with the the loss of innocence, right? That things can never go back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think I got some Zodiac vibes. Okay. Just because of the, at least in the first episode, because of how focused we were on on some of the the police aspects of this. Like if if you watch the movie Zodiac, it's a lot of like, well, who sent what file to what detective? Oh, you're from this county. Well, you got to go through this paperwork to get the gunshot report. And, oh, you're from this county. Well, that box is sealed here. Yeah. And we do get some of that in the second half of the pilot where there's a lot of disagreement over, like, where the evidence is going. Right. And, like, one guy at one point says, you typically break chain of evidence. And as a viewer, I'm like, oh, shit, does that mean that Nasir is going to get off on a technicality because someone lost a box? Right. I think Zodiac, Primal Fear are similar. I think a lot of this show reminds me of of David Fincher's work, uh, who did Zodiac, who did Seven. Okay. And um, we did Fight Club. Who, so it's these very dreary, dark. What's in the box? What's in the box? If you haven't seen Seven, you shouldn't be Ugh. listening to us. Go watch Seven. Heart-wrenching. So you made it through the entire series. I've watched the pilot episode. Yes. Would you recommend this show to our audience? Listen, this is a incredibly well done series mm -hmm. it is incredibly shot it's incredibly written incredibly acted all things that we've been saying all episode yeah yeah i would recommend you watch it as long as you're not in a dark place you're not <laughs> particularly <laughs> empathetic because this is a black hole and you're gonna feel it all yeah at least i did so i would recommend it with caveats yeah for your own mental health safety and some people like to wallow. So if you like wallowing and you like when you're down, you just want to feel it even more. Watch it. Turn it on. <laughs> dive in. I think I would say the same, Nicole. I think with caveats, I would say this. If not for this podcast, I would not have watched The Night Of because it looks bleak as fuck. Yeah. And it was bleak as fuck. And that's typically not where I like <laughs> to put my, my viewing energy. I would say this, though. If anyone watches the first episode, I do believe you will be hooked and you have to know. So I will watch. I will personally watch the rest of this series. I have to know what happens. I have to know if Nasir did it. So for me, I would say if you're into mystery, if you're into cop shows, if you're into murder shows, you should watch this. It's a masterclass in how to build tension and how to sort of set up a mystery. If you're not into those things. Watch the first episode, and then you're going to have to watch the whole damn thing because you're going to want to know. Oh, God. Yeah, you're hooked. I'm hooked. I I'm going to go watch the rest of it. So what are we doing next? Do you like sticking your hand up furry things like puppets? Then join us next week to take a look at Fraggle Rock. Thank you so much for being here and taking us through what happened on The Night Of. We should do this again next week. We should do this again next week. <laughs> do you come here often? <laughs> Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Brewit Media. Everyone have safe pap schmears this week. Thank you. Thank you.